This is going to sound strange to say, but I've never heard that. Now, I've never heard it sung. I've, I, um, as Diane said, that, that was um, something where, as we used to say back home, got a wild hair about me. And so the Lifeway Christian Resources used to have these little inserts that they would send to you through in a magazine. And it was just a little 24 measure, uh, little 24 measure deal. And for whatever reason, they must have been desperate and they took it. I was really thankful for it. Um, but I have, I've heard it in my head, but I had never heard it sung by a choir. So thank you for that. That was, uh, that was a true, uh, true joy. And it's been a long time. I think that was back in 1999. So we're now here we are. Well, if you would take your Bibles and open up to Job. We're going to look at uh, chapters 1 and 2 this morning. So as you've been hearing from us when we've been talking about our the, the vision that has been implemented of connecting all people to the truth and hope in Jesus. And you may have been seeing in your bulletin, this much I do know is there, um, is on the, in the very back where it talks about what ARBC is all about. And we've been already talking about initiating gospel conversations and growing together as far as being able to connect with one another in worship and, and small groups doing that. Spending daily time with God, which is what we spend a, a good amount of time last week talking about. And this week we're hitting this part about su- pursuing a life of integrity. Now speaking of routines... Normally there's a routine where I have you all stand and we read a passage of scripture and then I say a passage, I say another verse that deals with the word and then we, ha- we have you be seated. We're not going to do that this morning um, because I just don't want to, I, I want to make sure we're going to cover all of this passage, but I want to cover it as it comes because we need all the time that we can get to be able to talk about pursuing a life of integrity. Integrity is something that has to mark a disciple of Jesus. It is, it is not optional. Because who you are inside and who you are in private is, is really who you are. Integrity and character are very much connected. So it's very easy for us to come on a Sunday morning and, and get dressed up or maybe not so dressed up. But maybe be, and it's fine. That's great. But you come in. And sometimes we think, well, you know, I've, I've been pretty nice this week and I, I'm, I've been nice to other people this week and other people have been nice to me and I haven't really gone off the rails. And so here I am in church and Lord, isn't that enough? And I, I think that's what we have to make sure that we realize is that integrity, as far as being a disciple of Jesus, we're not simply talking about a new lifestyle or a new hobby that we've taken on. Christ has changed us up and down, in and out, all the way through. There is a transformation. It is a spiritual change that has taken place. We have not simply appropriated him to one part of our life to give us eternal life and then be able to go on our way living, as if every, living like everything else and everybody else. We have to be careful. Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about how we must not be conformed to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of our mind, a renewing of our mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. One commentator said that it is by God's power that if we have, we have become increasingly people of integrity. We are called to obey God, and in so doing, to be people of uncompromised morality and integrity. Christians should be those who adhere to the truth Truth on the inside. Truth 
but then also do good works based upon that truth. When Solomon was getting ready to build the temple, the Lord showed up to him, and we see in, in 1 Kings 9 and verse 4, it says, And for, as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, with integrity of heart and uprightness. Hear that? Integrity of heart and uprightness. Doing all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and rules. Then, verse 5, I will establish your royal throne over Israel and forever as I promised David your father saying, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. We get to the book of Job. And if you're not sure where Job is, you're not too familiar with how the Bible is laid out, that's good. We're here to help you. If you have a phone, you can see it. You can look it up. That's fine. But in, in the very middle of your Bible is the largest book of the Bible, which is called the Psalms. Right before it is another large book. And it looks like Job. When I was a little kid, I was wondering, what in the world is this Job? All I'm seeing is this Job. What is this? Job? You know, it's Job. Job. And so Job, and, and you see in Job chapter 1, verse 1, it says, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And listen to how they describe Job. And that man was blameless, not perfect, but blameless. We'll see what the difference is in a moment. But was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. That is a life of integrity. That's, that's, that's basic. Now, it's not easy to live out because we have a lot of factors and influences that are dealing with us, but that is, that is a, a man of integrity. If you know anything about Job, and I read a little bit from James 5 about the steadfastness of Job, and you know, Job was not somebody that just had a hangnail and he said, ow, and oh, God is mean to me. It was not something like that. When we begin to look at all that Job went through and how he hung in there, and we're not going to look at chapters 3 to 37, but he had friends who were trying to pontificate and thought they knew why he was going through what he was going through. And, and Job, Job shows us you can live a life of integrity and still have questions about how God's acting and how God's operating. I think that's, that's normal for us to do that. But you got to make sure that when you ask those questions, you're not asking out of doubt. You're asking out of faith. I, God, I know you know what you're doing. I don't know what you're doing, but I know you know what you're doing. If you could let me in a little bit on what you're doing, that's great. But even if not, you're still God. I trust you. Here we go. That's a hard place to get to. But when we look at what's going on here, I, I just want to just let you know what it means to have a life of integrity. And so here's another thing we're going to do differently. Because normally I go through point one, talk a little bit. Point two, talk a little bit. Point three, talk a little bit. Point four, and then some of you are like, finally, he's going to quit talking in a little bit. But what we're going to do is I'm going to give you four points right up front. Because as we go through Job 1 and 2, all of these are going to come up in different times. You know, it's not, this is not point A, point B, point C, point D as we're making a case. God is bringing all of this up all at the same time. And so if you want to take notes, that's great. If you want to do some, that's fine. You do you as far as that's concerned. But we're just going to go through these, Craig, just one at a time. So pursuing a life of integrity as a Christian means that every aspect of life is this. Number one, a reminder of the warfare. A reminder of the warfare. And I'm not going to take too long on these because we do have work to do, but a reminder of the warfare. Number two, it's an offering of worship to God. A life of integrity, it's all worship. There's no separation. 
of, well, I got my, my Jesus time and I got my me time. No, if you belong to Jesus, you belong to Jesus lock, stock, and barrel. You're all his all the time. Number three, it's an anchor in the trials of life. Not necessarily the life of integrity is, a, is an anchor that helps, but the one to whom we're living. Anchor. It's an anchor in trials of life. Now, we'll make these available at the end in case I'm, I'm going too quick. But number four, let me just say this here. It's an opportunity for God to show us ourselves, which can be a challenge, but also to show us himself. Okay? So, let's just, let's just go to it. So we look in, in chapter 1, verse one, verses 1 to 5, and it sets it up about how Job was blessed. Verse 2, you see that Job has seven sons and three daughters. So God blessed Job with a great family. And some of you, you have that. You have been blessed with a great family, a God-fearing, Jesus-loving, Bible-reading, praying family. Not all of us may have that. But Job did. And, and you see in verse 3, and we're going to see these factors come up later on, but 7,000 sheep he had, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. He was rich. Some of you may use the term he was loaded. Loaded. This man had more than anybody in that time. Now, but he's also a man of worship. And so that was, that was part of the, what we're seeing here is that he worshiped. And he worshiped in such a way to where he not only wanted to make sure that he was taken care of, but the sacrificial system that was in place at that time was to, where he was going to make sure that his kids were covered. It talks about in verse 4, his sons used to go and hold fast in the house of each one on his day and would send an invite to their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that, it, that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now, whether he was a parent that was just overly worried, too overly worried, or whether he was just someone that wanted to make sure that he was going to provide a substitute for his children so that they would be okay, and he did this all the time. Either way, Job wanted to make sure that not only he was right with God, but that his family was right with God. And it's, and it's important for us to know this too. Uz, Uz was a little bit east of the promised land, but by that but when, that was, when this was taking place, there wasn't such a thing necessarily as the promised land. Because this was around 2100 B.C. at or just before the time of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, if you want to know timeline real quick, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 2100 B.C. The time of the Exodus and when Moses comes along, 1400 B.C. So I think when we're reading our Bible sometimes, we don't realize this long stretch of time between Abraham and Moses. We're talking 700 years. And so Job was around this time. So when the law was given and the sacrificial system was given, the priestly order was given, then that was around the time of Moses just after. Promised land was just after. David is 1,000 B.C. The exile is around 500 B.C. So it's good to know these timelines. So 
there was no law, no promised land yet, at least not, that had been occupied. None, no David, no king, no anything, and definitely no Jesus, because Jesus was 2,000 years along. So here Job is right here at the very beginning of the timeline. Any of you reading through a chronological Bible study or, or a Bible reading plan? Okay, a couple of you. So if you're doing that, your Bible reading plan may have a few chapters in Genesis, and then it throws right to Job. Job? What's Job doing here? Job's in the prophets way, long, way a long time in the Bible. I mean, that's way out here. Well, no, that's chronological. The wisdom literature is, is, is helping us to understand what was going on in all the different times and parts of, of Israel. I, I really think that that's important because there was no sacrificial system, but yet Job knew enough about God, and God had been revealed to him somehow, some way to, to know about a sacrificial system, and he was doing that. Now, what's, what you're going to see in Job 1 and 2 is a toggling back and forth. It's like a play. It's a play that goes from where one scene is on earth. But then we, rem, then we toggle in verse 6, chapter 1, to now we're in heaven. And do you remember when I said to you earlier, way back in the midst of time, it was actually just a few minutes ago, but when I said to you that uh, pursuing a life of integrity is a reminder of the warfare, we... We tend to think that all that is happening here, we tend to think this is all that's happening. But there is a spiritual warfare that is going on now. I'm not talking about the type. Now, some of you may disagree with me on this, and that, that, that's okay. This is a conversation for another time. But it's not a spiritual warfare where we talk and we claim certain things to be able to make stuff stop and go and all that. that that's God's job. That's, that's not our job. Our job is to know what's going on and to do what we do and trust God to handle the ins and outs and the ups and downs of things. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 12, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against what? The schemes of the devil. So, so Satan, when it talks about here in, um, in chapter 1, verse 6 of Job, we're back in Job. Hope you can follow along. I'm trying here. But it says, the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And it says, Satan answered the Lord, said, answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. This is not like us strolling on the beach. Oh, look at that seagull. Oh, look at that shell. Well, this is not just a stroll where there's no aim or reason. We're on vacation. We don't have anything to do. Let's just take in what we've got. That's not what Satan was doing. Satan has a scheme. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And he has had one ever since the Garden of Eden. And he will have one until all takes place in Revelation 21 and 21 where he is thrown into the pit of fire for good. So Satan knows his end. Satan knows the word in many ways. He knows the word better than we do. But he, know, he knows his end. And as time goes on, he's going to amp things up. And so when we read, now we're back in Ephesians 6, just hear this. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. See, we're, we spend so much time fighting each other that sometimes we forget where the true front of the fight is. And the front of the fight is this. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
So when you're struggling with something, you may be, you may be thinking, well, what's going on? So I'm going to go and do this. I'm going to go see this doctor. I'm going to take this. I'm going to, I'm going to do this recreational piece. And yet it doesn't seem to work. Well, that's because there may be something else that you're struggling against, someone else that you're struggling against. And we've got to be aware of the schemes of the devil. That's why we're having you read your Bible every day, asking you, please read your Bible every day, because not only do you see how God works, not only do you see how you work, you'll see how the devil works. And when you begin to see how the devil works, you're prepared. You're prepared to not be surprised when these fiery trials come upon you, as it says in First Peter. So, you get here, and so the Lord now, they're having a conversation. In verse 8, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. So that's the second time we've heard that litany of an integrity, of a man of integrity. Blameless, upright, fears God, turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is yours, is in your hand. Only do not stretch out your hand, meaning take his life. So Satan went from the presence of the Lord. So when we begin to see something um, along that line, and that there's just times we may need to help each other out, right? If you would. Um, but w- when we help each other out in many, many ways, one of those ways is to make sure that we understand what's being said in the Word. And so what's being said in the Word is, is this, is that Satan, we tend to sometimes think that Satan... And God, when we read, that they're equals. That it's like, you know, here we go. That's God and Satan, cage match. Whoever walks out at the end, they're the ones that are right. Right, might makes right, and right makes might, and hallelujah, thine the glory. And, and, and what we need to recognize is, is that this is not what's happening. First of all, God knows exactly what's going on. He's the one that's setting the tone. Satan is the one that thinks he can get Job, but he doesn't know. And so Job is somehow crashing this heavenly council, or Satan is crashing this heavenly council party and and is making a case and what, he's, what we have to realize is the scheme of the devil is simply this. He is after you. If you begin to read your Bible every day, how many of you, don't, don't, don't necessarily raise your hand, but you know, how many of you when you said, I am going to make a commitment to read my Bible every day, Monday was a, was a struggle. Tuesday was, well, I got through Monday. That was, that was hard. How about Tuesday? How about Wednesday? Did you spin out Thursday? Did you, are you feeling bad on Friday that now you've got all this work to catch up on on your Bible? You see what happens? We, the devil, once we make a, a commitment, I'm going to follow the Lord, he's like, okay, kitchen sink, here we go. And he throws it at you. And so this is what's happening. So, so, God is up here in heaven, and keep in mind, I was reading this commentary by Christopher Ashe, credit where credit's due, and he said this, God is more concerned 
with His glory than your comfort. Now, where are you in your Christian walk to receive that? Well, I thought that God was all about making me happy. I thought God was all about making me comfy. I thought God was all about filling my bank account. And I got sick the other day, but I prayed real hard and I got right. You know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like we think that when we trust in Christ, then all of a sudden that he's going to make everything completely smooth. We're not going to lack for anything. Our health is going to be fantastic. And we tend to think that the goal of God is to make us happy. The goal of God is to make us holy. The goal of all of us is to make sure that we are glorifying him above all things. That's why we have this silly time of starting at 1031. Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians, you want to guess what the chapter and verse is? 1031. Why do you have such a dumb time to start a service? It allows me a conversation to say this is why. Oh, talking about routine. 1031 is not routine. At least maybe now. But, but you see what's happening here is that there's a, there's, a, there's a warfare that's going on. And God is going to be glorified and he's using these means to do it. So now we, we flip back. We are now moving the scene back to earth. And it says that Satan takes Job's property and children. Look, look at what's being said here. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. You know, just like every other day. They were loving life, enjoying life in their way. And it says that there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell down upon them and took them and struck down the servants at the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Do you remember when I said from verse 3 in chapter 1 that there was this list of all of the property that he has and that we're going to review it again? This is where we're going to review it. So, All of these donkeys, well, how many donkeys did he have? Well, he had 500 female donkeys, gone. How many of the other did he have? Well, it was gone. And then while this guy was talking, verse 16, there came another and said, the fire of God God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking. So this guy's talking and another guy shows up and interrupts him. He's talking, another guy shows up and interrupts him. He shows up, you know, he, this other guy shows up, interrupts the other guy. Boom to boom to boom to boom. And everything that was listed, I'll just give you the whole story. Everything that was listed in Job 1, gone. His family, seven sons and three daughters, gone. All of the servants, Gone. The whole list of everything that made him be seen as the greatest at all of the land, gone. I, I, I mentioned the, the aforementioned hangnail. Oh, I got a hangnail. My life is ruined today. But listen, I, I had a week where I, we, had a, we had a family scare. And boy, you talking about getting distracted? Things playing in your mind? What in the world's going on? I've told you about some other things that have been going on with not immediately immediate family, but people back east, there's all this stuff that's going on there that has left me really distracted, really distracted. We're like going through molasses, distracted. I don't know how I would be if I lost my wife, 
Job didn't lose his. But if I lost my wife, I've lost my children, and I lost everything that I had, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Well, you're a preacher. Thanks for noticing. I don't know. Because I adore my family. I mean, it, I got it bad. I adore my family. I can't wait to get home and to be around them. And, to, and, to, and to, to, to think of losing that, you've got to put yourself in Job's spot. You can't be so calloused, maybe not calloused, but you can't be so used to the story if you've been in church world for so long because you know how it ends. You've read the end. But you've you got to put yourself in this spot and see what's happening in Job, with Job. And how did he respond? Now, how you respond may make what Job is saying here and how he responded be like, that's ridiculous. But this is how Job responded. And Job rose and tore his robe, which was an act of lament. He rose and tore his robe and, and shaved his head and fell on the ground. And what did he do? Really? Yeah, he did. Because whatever is going on, he realized that his hope was not here. His hope was there. His hope is not in what someone looked, how someone looked at him or what they said to him or how they acted or, 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 what, or the society is going, all oh, the society, all oh, the news. Oh, I can't watch the news. What kind of a God would let things like that happen? Well, God gave us an opportunity. We have made many, many choices to say, no thanks. And this is the result. But here Job is saying, I'm worshiping. And then he goes on. Naked I came from my mother's womb. None of us were born with a suit and tie. We were born naked. Nothing. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave. So he realized that God gave. Everything that we have is a gift. It's not a right. All, there, there's so many, in our, so many things in our culture right now. Well, these are my rights. Only because God has cho- chosen to give you those rights. But the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. God's goodness is not dependent on how you feel about him. God's goodness is not dependent upon what you have and what you don't have, what you are and what you're not. God's goodness is based upon him, his goodness. And he says, Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. It was an offering. His life was an offering of worship. There is a warfare that's going on that he was not aware of, but we know now. But he said, I'm going to worship God. That's the anchor of my life. He is, no matter what. When we get back to heaven, <laughs> when we get back to heaven, We see in chapter 2, verse 1, and there was a day when the sons of God, this holy heavenly council, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came among them to present himself before the Lord. And we have this litany again. And Lord, and the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, going to and fro upon the earth and walking up and down on it. Again, he has a plan. He has a scheme. He's the adversary. He's out to undermine the things of God 
and to make sure that he is not glorified. But God will be glorified. Satan can't stop that. We've got to make sure we realize this. But we see here, Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it, verse 3, and the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Now that has been the same. But now we have another. He holds fast to his integrity. He holds fast to his integrity. And although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. So Job didn't do anything wrong, but yet here this is playing out. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. All that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone. Now, the touch doesn't mean just touch. It means afflict, harm. Touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. Now, again, for those of us who are about comfort and we think that God, that God is, is most glorified when we are most comforted, when, we are, when things are going okay, we don't see that in the Bible, but we have imposed that value on the Bible. We've got to be careful. And so Satan, it said, went out from the presence of the Lord, and now we're backed on earth, and he struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. I mean, I know this is right before lunch, but I'm just reporting the news here. This is, this is a disgusting scenario that he is going through. And he didn't do anything to deserve it in, in, in this way. And so when you look at this, you need an anchor in the trials of life because there's going to be sometimes all of our spouses mean well. And you as a spouse to your spouse, I'm sure you mean well. But I'm sure there are times when we aren't that helpful to each other. And so when it talks about Job's wife, Tim Hawkins, he's a Christian comedian, really, really funny, really funny. But he would often, he would, he would talk about Job and he would be like, yeah, Job really had a hard life. He lost his property. He, he lost his property and he lost his children but his wife did not die. And when we look at this, it says, then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Are you still worshiping God? Are you still trusting him as the anchor of your life? Well, somebody cut bait because something is wrong here. You're saying you, you love God and all of this is happening and he's allowing it to happen? What are you doing? And what's her solution? Curse God and die. Now, let's take a time out here real quick. I'm not sure how many of you have been in this situation, but I know that some of you have. You have been in a situation where you have seen your spouse suffer. Suffer to the point of death. And you get to a point, I've never gone through this. My, life, my wife is alive and well. But when you get to a point where you see your spouse suffering so much that death seems to be an escape, 
I honestly think, yeah, Job's wife got it wrong. Well, so do you. I've gotten it wrong too when I've been in the midst of all of those things that are going on and God has dealt with me in his own sweet way. But I think sometimes we need to take it a little easy on Job's wife. She just wanted to see the husband that she loved, loved, set free from this. But Job had an anchor in the trial of his life. And what did he do? He said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. He didn't call her a foolish woman. He just said, you're talking like one. And by the way, when you get into an argument, there is a difference, right? Between saying someone is foolish and saying that you're acting like a foolish person. Those of you that may have, I know many of you probably have never had an argument as, as, a, as a married couple, and that's fine. But he's not calling her, he's not calling her a fool. He's just saying you're talking like one of the foolish women, Okay. But we look at this and we, we have to say, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? Well, I thought, was, I thought God was good. How could God be evil? God has a long trajectory of good. But we see all through scriptures that there are times, like if you read in Habakkuk, right? Good devotional reading Habakkuk. I, I highly recommend him, seriously. Even though he's in the Minor Prophets, we don't, really, we don't know how to pronounce his name. We sometimes have a hard time knowing what's going on there. But in Habakkuk, what happened was God used the Babylonians, an enemy of God, to do something and to use it as a discipline to his own people. God will use any means possible in order to get us where we need to be so that our lives are setting a trajectory for his glory. And this is what's going on. Now, you're, you may be, you yourself, you may be in the middle of something right now and you're not understanding what God is doing. I just want to tell you, God has preserved these accounts in his word so that when we are going through suffering, we see that it's not arbitrary. There is a purpose behind it. Jesus dying on the cross was the greatest, it was more of an injustice of whatever happened to Job. But Jesus dying on the cross when he died, did he do anything wrong? No. Did he say anything wrong? Did he even think anything wrong? He was truly the only sinless man to ever walk the earth. And yet here, he's dying on a cross like a criminal on our behalf. But it didn't look like it. When you're taking the snapshot, it didn't look like it. But we know so that means that if you're suffering, even though you may not know why, you know there is a purpose behind it. God is not an arbitrary God. He is sovereign over all things. He is in control of all things. And Satan cannot move one millimeter without getting permission. Are, do you understand that? These are not two heavyweight champs. Here we go, Holmes and, Holmes and Hagler or Ali and Frazier. This is not what this is where there's two equal contenders and here we go. This was never equal. Satan, adversary, powerful, but he's not all powerful. Mighty, he's not all mighty. And he certainly isn't God. He thought he could get Job dead. And when it talks about in 1 Peter 5, 8, that he's a roaring lion wandering around, ready to find someone to devour, what are we called to do? Resist him. Firm in the faith. And so our anchor is Jesus. Our anchor is not our great life. 
Our anchor is not even our church. Your anchor is not your spouse. Don't put that on them. Your anchor is not your job. Your anchor is not anything here. Your anchor is Jesus. And when, when that happens, then when all of the storms of life come about, you're able to stay tethered and steady and strong because Jesus is your anchor. Not anything else and not anyone else. How does this all end? Well, we see that uh, Job had three friends. Um, Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite. And they were friends for about a week. For seven days they sat around Job and didn't say anything but just were there as a presence. And then Job starts talking and he starts lamenting and he's just asking some very basic and straightforward questions. Why is this happening? It had been better that I'd never been born. And all of a sudden Job's friends just got all spiritual on him. How can you say that? Well, clearly you've done something wrong to deserve that. Somebody else must have done something wrong to deserve that. God wouldn't do this to you if you didn't deserve it. And da 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 da. And they start pontificating. Out of their ignorance. And you say, how could they do that? We do that all the time. We do that all the time by pulling from what we think should be and, t- and, and elevating it to what sh- we think is, and then we impose that on somebody else. Listen, God has given us his word. Let's take his word and put it on people and, and help them with that rather than what you think people should be doing or saying or, or thinking. But, you know, at the very end, all of this, we got 30 five chapters, Job chapter 3 to 37. We got 35 chapters of back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until finally God shows up in chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the, out of the whirlwind and said, and from chapter 38 to chapter 42 is strangely monological, meaning nobody's saying anything when God shows up. When God begins to show up, that's one of the things, that's one of the reasons why it's a monologue here during a worship service. You have a, you have a, you have a Sunday school class where there's dialogue and asking questions, all that, but we just need an environment where we just say, God, talk to us. I'm going to shut my face and I'm going to open up my ears. I'm going to open up my hearts and I'm going to hear what you have to say. And the onus is on me to make sure that I'm rightly dividing the word of truth for you, for him. But, so he starts off, who is this that darkens my counsel with words, without knowledge, dressed for action like a man? I will question you, and you make it known to me. And, and, and on Wednesday, we're going to go a little bit more into this last part. But I'm just going to say this. God is peppering Job with one thing after another. Where were you when I made this? And where were you when I did this? And where were you when this happened? How do you know this when you weren't even around? And on and on like breakers on the seashore. Boom, boom, boom. Until we get to Job finally starts talking in uh, chapter 40, verse 3. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I've spoken once and will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. And then the Lord goes after it again. Now, what you're going to notice in this, in living a life of integrity, it does not mean you're going to always get answers. Because at no time when God was talking at the end here did God tell Job, you know, Satan and I, we were up here talking in heaven, and this was going on. And, and, and so I, not once did Job get in on that. But what did Job get in on? 
the Lord himself. He's not going to always give you answers, dear Christian. He will always give you himself. And if you trust him, even with the things that you don't know, you are well on your way in your walk with the Lord. That is a life of integrity. It's not based upon your circumstances. It's not based upon you knowing everything. It is not based upon this and that and separating a, 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 a life of worship from a life of my own stuff. I got to have my own time. No, no, no. It's all his. And that's what we have to read. And that's what we have to understand out of this. Now, did God bless Job again at the very end? Yeah, restored him. Completely restored him. Does that mean that's what he's going to do for you? Well, if I just ride this out, then he's going to give me more than I had when I got in. Yes and no. The no part is he may not restore everything that you have. But the yes part is you will have riches in heaven. You'll be with him for eternity. You'll have Christ. You know, you'll, you'll be setting up treasures in heaven rather than treasures here on earth as Jesus continually warned us. The riches are Christ. You'll have him. And so that's where it begins. You begins to, when you read through this and the confession and the repentance in chapter 42, it, there is a, just a, this recognition here. And I want to leave you with this. The Spirit of God transforms a people to God by the work of the Son of God to put us on mission for God. The Spirit of God is, is transforming you. He's changing you into a life where you're living a life of worship. Transform a people of God by the work of the Son of God to put us on mission with God. Not just to sit in the pew and say, oh, that was nice, and then let that be it. No, we absorb his word because, okay, Lord, now how do you want me to pursue a life of integrity in every way? So where are you? Are, are, you, are you putting God on conditional alert? I'll worship you if you do this for me. I'll worship you as long as everything goes smooth for me. I'll worship you if, I'll worship you if, I'll worship you if. That's not worship. You're making him worship you. And you ain't worthy of his worship, but he is way worthy of ours. You doubt it? Just look at the empty tomb and behold and worship. Father, help us in our day. Thank you, Father, for providing everything that we need to do everything that you've commanded us. Thank you for sending the Spirit of God to make us part of a people of God. Thank you for the Son of God who sends us on mission for you. So help us, Lord. I, I know living a life of integrity, we tend to make it to where we are comparing ourselves to other people. I'm not like that guy. I have more integrity than that guy. But the holiness factor is, is here, Lord. We have to be looking at your standard what you've called us to do, what you've called us to be, and that you're not leaving us alone to try to figure it all out, but you're, you've changed our hearts and minds to where we have a want to, to worship you, to live a holy life, to live a life of integrity, and to help others to do the same. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for how he has changed us. Thank you for his patience with us. Thank you for his perseverance for us. Help us in all that we do and say, Father, and may we come today ready and willing to commit to live a life of Christian integrity and holiness before you. Truth with good works, not to save us, but to show that our faith is at work. Use us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We sing.
We really do. We sing. If you want to use your hymnal, if you're not familiar, I found out that some of the hymns that we're singing, some of you may not be too familiar with, so that's why we put the number in there. There's a hymnal that's right in front of you. 277, um, but there'll also be the words on the screen. But this is a prayer. Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated for you. Let's stand together and mean what we sing.